0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to start with a with a just the most user friendly question in the entire world, uh, which is which is the following. Um, Can you see everything you need to see? Like, in other words, all that's important that you actually need to get through life. Can you see it with your eyes? And it's, uh, this is a very basic question, but it cuts to the heart of absolutely everything. In other words, are the, are the eyes the ultimate final authority as to what is real? And, um, and I think let's spend some time on this because it's going to, it's going to basically be a, a, uh, an entryway into, into talking about the, the, the biggest things about our lives. You see, because if the eyes are absolutely the final authority, and intuitively we feel that they are, see, we've been hardwired to really feel that the eyes are the final authority, and I'll just give you just a, a, a sort of like an incredibly basic support for that, which is that the eyes are closest to the brain. <laughs> You know what I mean? It just, like, the way literally we're constructed, it's like the eyes have the first vote. You know? Um, Why do we say, don't judge a book by its cover? Meaning to say, like, like, that's something that's such a familiar phrase that we've forgotten what it actually means. A lot of people back in the day, before TV shows and things like that, they would look at the cover of a book, and they'd go, I like this picture, it must be a good book, or I don't like this picture, it must be a bad book. <laughs> and people, people then came up with this phrase saying, no, 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 there's not necessarily a correlation between the cover art and the 900 pages that are in between, right? So don't judge the book by its cover. But why did they have to come up with that phrase? Because everyone was judging a book by its cover because it's the most intuitive way to evaluate things. I mean, literally, the eyes with the optic nerve are literally plugged into the brain. They're plugged in and they have the first vote and they sit on top of the face. Right. They're like sort of the rulers. They're the rulers. I'll give you another example. Um, Astronomy was the first of the 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 first most well-developed science. OK, because if you think about it, it makes sense. You, you didn't have any light pollution back then. And, you know, when it became nighttime, you know, this extraordinary view of like you could see like the, imagine what the sky looked like 3000 years ago or 4000 years ago or 5000 years ago. Like incredible. Right. Um, so. So. They, they have places now where there's actually tourism centered around good views of, of the night sky. Like there are these islands in the middle of the ocean that like, people travel to just so they can see like a, a real picture of the sky. But one of the, um, one of the most basic things that you'll see that everyone observes is you see that the, that the sun rises in the east and it sets in the west okay this is not before even trying to you know map the orbits of certain stars and things like that this is like super basic it rises in the east the sun and sets in the west which is to say what which is to say that the sun revolves around the earth that is like the most basic thing that you're seeing in the world and yet we know today that the sun doesn't revolve around the earth the earth revolves around the sun. So now we're getting a little bit deeper, which is to say that the way God constructed the universe is that the most obvious basic fact, the sun revolving around the earth, is actually not true. Now we have to start to begin to question our, our very basic premise, which is, Does are my eyes the final authority of truth in the world. Well, what about when we look at each other and we judge another person and actually they we misjudge them, we got them wrong. They were actually up to something completely different than what we thought they were up to. But we thought, oh no, I know what you're doing, I know what you're up to, and then it turns out we were wrong. So, so you see... this takes a level of humility because now I'm, I'm starting to I'm starting to allow for the fact that there might be more relevant information available than I can access in the moment and now all of a sudden I have to begin to start to withhold judgment When my eyes are telling me, no, 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 it's this way, it's this way. And yet, as I'm starting to learn more about life, I'm starting to think, well, maybe I don't know yet. Maybe I don't know yet. So I'll give you uh, a couple more examples. Um, You know, uh, Louis Pasteur, where the word pasteurize, like when you boil milk to get rid of all the bacteria uh you know, posited that there were bacteria in the milk that were, that were starting to cause diseases and, and, and deaths, you know, if, if the milk, you know, had become, you know, uh, you know, infected in some way or exposed in some way. And the townspeople of the day said, all oh, right, yeah, like there are little things floating around that we can't see. Right. Like, you know, like like he was an idiot. <laughs> he was an idiot because he was saying that there are things that are not only there, but that can kill you, and you can't see them. And that was not like that was not a normal thought for the basic townsperson. And of course it of course it's true. And now think about how far science has gone. Not only have we been able to identify all sorts of bacteria which we can't see, but now we're looking at subatomic particles, which we know are there and which are not visible to, to the eye without an electron microscope. Right? You don't just need a microscope now. You need like an electron microscope, but we know that they're there. And these are the building blocks of, of matter. Okay? What about Distant stars. You look up and you see so many stars, but but we can see far beyond that. Even like like someone got this great idea, which is like so cool because we actually did it. They said, you know something, our magnification to look through a telescope is only so great, and then there's all sorts of light pollution and things like that, and so we, you know, it, it sort of like interferes with our ability to see distant things clearly. And again, our magnification is not so great that we can even see beyond that. What if we launched a giant telescope into outer space and started there as our starting point to check out the heavens? And we did it. The Hubble telescope. We actually did it. There's a giant telescope floating in outer space, which is now our starting point to observe things. And now we're seeing things so far beyond what the eye can see, even if you travel to one of these star tourism places in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, right, and looked up with the best telescope, it can't compare to what the, te- the, what the Hubble telescope can, can see. By the way, they just fixed the Hubble telescope a, a, a short while ago. So now it's even more accurate. So, so let's go even further. Let's go even deeper, okay? Okay which is that math and physics now are positing unseen universes, unseen dimensions. So now this is now, this used to be the stuff of religions solely, that, that there are whole dimensions which exist, which can't be seen. And you go, okay, well, that's a, you know, you have a lot of belief, Right. But this is, the, this is, no, these are the math departments and the physics departments saying this, who aren't addressing any theological questions at all. They're saying these unseen universe dimensions exist. Okay. So hopefully, that's just an overview, or just kind of what I know on the subject anyway. But just to, just to argue the case that at this point, I think that it would be foolish for a person to say, no, what exists is what I can see with my mind, or with my eyes. You know, that would be a foolish thought at this point. Because we see that all of science says otherwise. Okay, so now, that means that there is perhaps extremely relevant information going on <laughs> that I'm never going to find out with my eyes. I'm never going to find out on my own. And it could be a matter of life and death. So then what do you do at that point? You say, "Okay, I got to learn something. I got to I got to go to a few classes. Try to figure this out." because I don't want to be subject and held hostage by my own ignorance. So what's the reality? Now, I'll tell you something interesting. In Judaism is not a religion. Okay? What, what does that mean, that it's not a religion? A religion says... We believe this, that, and the other thing. We don't. We're saying no, no, no. This is actually what's going on. This is reality. This is reality. So actually, that's and that's what we want. We want reality. Obviously, we. That's what we need. So, so I want to live in the real world. I don't want to live in some made-up construct, especially some made-up construct of my own making. Because that's so foolish. I mean, there's so many people that are smarter than me. I'd rather live in their world than my world, right? Like, what do I want to be, you know, talking about being held hostage, held hostage to my own ignorance? Now, what if the creator himself, the one who made all of this, is telling us what we need? Is telling us, describing his universe to us and telling us how to access it? That would be the ultimate, right? The user's guide to the universe? That would be the ultimate. Give me that. We have that. It's called the Torah. That's what the Torah and the mitzvahs are. That's our our searchlight through the darkness of this world, through the hiddenness of this world, through the limitation of what both the eyes and the mind can comprehend. Remember, just like we developed this idea of how limited the eyes are in terms of really grasping the fullness of reality. The mind is similarly limited in this way. Now, we have to acknowledge that the human mind is probably the most extraordinary creation in the world. In, In fact i can't imagine I can't think of anything that's a more extraordinary creation than the human mind, and I once saw something which you know I don't know, but just it just seemed interesting, which is that if you wanted to sort of like make hard copies like in other words like you know like a hard copy is when you put like something on paper right if you wanted to put on paper everything that the human mind contains, right you would fill up like buildings it's it's ridiculous how much information is stored in this tiny place it's ridiculous and then what we've been able to understand in terms of like just like what planets that I mean we landed on the moon that's nuts and then we came back (laughs) I mean, if you just think about that for a while, like this thing that's up in the sky, we, we figured out a way to land exactly there and to get back. I don't know what's more extraordinary. Maybe getting back is more extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And, you know, I'm not going to catalog the history of human achievement, but it's, it's vast. It's vast but but god made the human mind and if you think the human mind is vast who is the god who made the human mind and the human mind is a subset of god meaning to say it's it's it it can never catch up to god because it's a smaller piece than god now here's the Absurd joke which has plagued creation since the beginning. This subset of God, this smaller piece, this finite entity relative to the infinite entity, which is God, this finite entity, our mind, is created by God, and then we tell God what he can and can't do, <laughs> what he is and isn't capable of. <laughs> this is, would be a classic classic example of the tail wagging the dog, so to speak. Right the hob deal, right? Like it's just it's completely backwards. It's completely backwards. So so what I'm what I'm trying to suggest is 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 that, you know, you know all those movies and things like that, and where they've got those giant hedge mazes, <laughs> you know? You know what I'm talking about? Those, those bushes, and then they cut a, a path through the bushes, and they're like life-size. They're above your head, so you don't exactly know where you're going, and you have to find your way out of it. This world is a, a bit like a giant hedge maze. <laughs> We're sort of in there, and we've got to figure out like how to get out. Like, what's what's the path? What's the way? You want to, What's the path? What's the way? Do you want? Do you want to hear something funny? Halacha, which is translated sadly as Jewish law, halacha has the word holeich in it. Holeich means to walk. But it's but this translation of Jewish law is very didactic. It's like you can't say those words without feeling like someone is. Hitting you over the head with a stick, <laughs> but 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 it just means the way. It just means the path. That's 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 all it means. It's 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 sort of the way through life. You know, I, I say it over and over again, but it's it's just such an essential teaching and I, I feel especially for uh, our generation today our generations today um, the Kutzke Rebbe says I would never worship a God I understood <laughs> right because if you understand God then you're also God so what do you need God for <laughs> right one of the premises of God is that you don't understand him <laughs> God is not God if you understand him. Do you understand (laughs) See, but to be comfortable with that, to embrace that teaching, like, I love that teaching, to embrace that teaching means to make yourself humble, to make yourself small, to understand that not only don't you know everything, but you can never know everything. And that that's actually normal. That's not abnormal. That's actually normal. And, you know, so many people feel as though that to live a life like that is to surrender an aspect of their own dignity. But, but those people who feel that way are founding their dignity on an incorrect premise. The incorrect premise being, I am in control. <laughs> so if I am in control, how dare I surrender my control? And say that the natural state is not to know. But, you know, there's something called, again, another cliché, but let's talk it through. Because, again, these clichés lose meaning over time, so you have to re-explain them. There's something called grasping at straws. What does that mean? That means someone... Straws are these, you know, like hay. Like they're these things that float in the water. They're very not substantial. So imagine a person, you know, we should know from it, is drowning. And they're trying to grab onto something to stop themselves from drowning. So they hold on to these straws that are floating in the ocean. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. That's called grasping at straws. You're, 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 you're trying to grab onto something, but it's not improving your situation. So people try to they, they, they're not comfortable with the idea that I, I don't know fully and can never know fully, but that's natural. So they grasp at straws, which is, no, 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 I really am the final authority. But that's a drowning man grabbing onto something that's not going to help them. Their own pride and their own substantiveness. It doesn't, that's not the cure for anything. See, the thing is is that we have to do something called re- Bless you. We have to do something called reframing." See, I've shown you the, this idea of not knowing in a, in a negative context, to, to the person who is very fearful of that and uncomfortable with that, right? But here's the positive reframing of that idea. To live in wonderment. You know, I'll I'll tell you something. I I, I was, you know, I mentioned about being on this safari in South Africa. If you want to hear more about it, it's in last week's talk, which I forgot what we called it. Um, uh, Oh, yeah, You Are God's Partner, if you want to hear that one. That's got a lot of nice stuff on it, if you want to hear that. But anyway... We had this guide we're in this open jeep and before we went out on our first sort of ride through the bush you know to see wild animals he went around the the jeep saying what do you want to see so someone the first person said a lion right and then someone else I don't know what the other person said some some other beast like like a leopard or something like this and then he and then he called on me and I said, wonderment. And he looked at me and he said, what's that? <laughs> like, what animals, how many legs does that have? Wonderment. Because not... <laughs> I just wanted to have my mind blown. You know what I mean? I wanted to see, like, things I haven't seen before so that I can just be sort of more in awe of God. That's, that's, that was my goal, you know? Um, so, but anyway, if you live in a state of not knowing, then, bless you, then, then you can live in wonderment, this idea of, I don't know, why don't I, you see, then let's let's work this through, so, because people who have control, kind of, I don't want to say issues, that's negative, but, you know, who are you know, inclined toward that natural feeling of wanting to be in control. Let's work through the process with them. I don't know. I can be scared, or I don't know because the world is so incredibly vast. (laughs) I don't know because the world is so wondrous. I don't know because anything can happen at any moment, and there are good surprises. I don't know because the one who does know is running the world and the one who does know loves me and is in control and is controlling everything. And I don't know, but I know that whoever that one is, we say Hashem, means good for me. Whether I can grasp it in the moment or not. But it's but it's good. Then now I'm sort of like digging, not knowing. Right? Like now I'm like, wow, you know. I don't know. Wow, anything can happen. Now the world actually becomes much larger instead of much smaller. Because now anything can happen at any moment, which is the truth. That's actually the truth. You know, I know people who, every time the phone rings, like, like instinctively say, oh no. <laughs> I know people like this. I, I've seen it. Why oh no? who knows so so you have to you have to understand something now it's because I want to bring this now into a more focused discussion about Purim and Pesach because you see you have two I want you to picture this model in your mind okay you have two things going on simultaneously. Imagine in your mind the earth or you or your family or whatever it is, that's the center circle, okay? And the thing is within that sphere, within the sphere of this world, within the sphere of this world, we don't know. It's that's that's what it is. There's concealment, there's what we call exile. That, that's what it is. Let's just say concealment. We don't know how... Mystery? We, we don't know. But now, around that ring, now imagine there's a, a greater ring surrounding that, and that's revelation. And that's going on at all times also. Okay? Then that's God's knowledge of the world. So in the deepest level... Actually, everything is known all of the time, and everything is being directed all the time. Within our sphere, we don't see it all the time, and we don't know all the time, but that's just our sphere. Around that sphere is a greater sphere, where everything is always absolutely in control, and everything is absolutely known. So the middle, the center sphere is called concealment, or you can give it another name, olam hazeh. And then the greater sphere around it is revelation. or You can call it godliness, or you can call it olam the world to come. Okay? And those things are going on simultaneously all of the time. You have to have both aspects in mind all of the time. If you want a model for this world, and if you want a model for your life, and if you want a model for the history of human civilization, You need the complete model. Okay? Okay. So what is Purim teaching us? Okay? Purim is now talking about describing, in the most amazing way, the the middle sphere, the sphere of concealment. And it's telling us that even in those aspects of concealment, God is absolutely still running the world even if it's not apparent to us that God is running the world. So, so I want to just go deeper into this thought because I, I think that this is, what I'm about to tell you, is uh, it's in the Megillah. I'll show you where it is in the Megillah. But it's, it's highlighting this point, which is life happens in slow motion. It happens in slow motion. And because it happens in slow motion, it just seems like whatever our prayers that we're praying or the redemption or whatever our needs are, are taking forever (laughs) to become realized. To the point where we go, okay, you know what? I'm not standing on this line anymore. (laughs) I'm going to switch lines. Because this line is not moving. I've been on this line. It's not moving. <laughs> okay? But that's just kind of the nature of this dimension that we're in right now. Now I'm going to give you an example, okay? Because the and the, this what I'm about to tell you right now is these are actual verses in the Megillah, but they're buried in the Megillah which means that they're the things that you'll read over super fast and you won't even have any idea how significant they are. Okay? So, if I were to ask you, I'm I'm, I'm assuming you all know the story of the Megillah. So, I'll just tell you very basic, very, very basic. King Ahasuerus throws this big feast. The Jews go to it, which is not a great thing for us to do for the reason that Basically, what Ahasuerus was celebrating was the fact that the Jews are never going to return to Israel. So why are the Jews being part of a celebration that they're never going to go back to Israel and that they're going to be in exile forever? So, so Hashem, so to speak, says, OK, you've clearly forgotten what your mission is in this world. So if you've forgotten what your mission is, so then what do I need you for? Right? But just like it says in another place, in Gomorrah, Megillah, that the decree for us to be, the Jewish people to be eradicated, God forbid, happened because we bowed down before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. But it says the Jews only pretended to bow down to 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 that statue. So it says God only pretended to eradicate us, which is crazy deep. That's crazy, crazy deep, okay? Anyway... The bottom line is that's the trigger event, and then at that feast, Achashveros kills his wife, who he loves, and that's Vashti, and then he has like a big beauty contest throughout 127 countries. I mean, this is like you know, like Miss World, right? Miss Universe, (laughs) and they bring in like every great-looking woman in the world, essentially, to, to, to be part of his harem, for him to figure out who he wants to make his next queen. And Esther wins, and she's Jewish, but she hides her, she hides her identity. And then Haman, who's the top advisor, to Ferus, he makes a decree because Mordecai, who's the head of the Jewish people, won't bow down to him. And Haman says, if he doesn't bow down to him, not only do I want to kill him, I want to kill all of his people, I want to kill all of the Jews. And then, and then of course, there's a, there's a happy ending. But, but here's my point. Here's my point. You all know the story. Here's my point. If you had to track the events that I just told you, they seem to happen in very quick succession. In the, in, in, in the Megillah okay so now here's what for me was a mind blower the number of years between Vashti being killed and Esther being made queen four, year, four years four years the number of years between Esther being made queen and Haman making the decree to eradicate the Jews five years Meaning to say that from the time that we attended the feast in the beginning where the decree came down, like, really, you're really celebrating the fact that you're not going back to Israel to the time that Haman made the decree to eradicate the Jews? Nine years. Nine years. That's very surprising. Because even though those facts are in the Megillah, they're just 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 like sort of like and it happened in this year of the king's reign, and then you're it's like a little clause, and then you're into the But wait a second. Life goes very, very slowly. Life goes very, very slowly. See the thing is is that and it's um more so now than ever, more so now than ever, uh, we're, we're conditioned to think in terms of movie time, okay? So here's the way Hollywood has sort of like trained our brain to think, okay? Which is, which is imagine any romantic comedy or something like this, and you've got the woman or the man before the date looking in the mirror, like just kind of checking their look before they leave the house, and then you cut, and then they're in the middle of dinner laughing with their date. (laughs) Well, what about the fact that you check your look, and then you run back to the closet, and you redo your entire outfit, maybe five more times, then you ring for the elevator, and then it takes another five minutes because, you know, there's some problem with that. And then you get in your car and there's traffic and then you have to get to the restaurant and then you have to wait to be seated and then you have to wait to order and then you have to wait to get to your food. I mean, there's so much real life that gets cut out and we just don't think in those terms anymore. We, we, we're not conditioned. We've, we're not conditioned to understand the real kind of rhythm of what life is and what this world is. I, I know someone who loved movies and they were going through you know like a very hectic period in their life and they finally got back into the theater. They, 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 they told me this this story and they settled in and the movie started and the person said ah now back to reality. <laughs> <laughs> They, they were surprised that they actually uttered those words. Well, those are the words that came out of their mouth. Because we think, we think that that's the normal rhythm of things. And we're very, very uncomfortable with all of the everydayness of life. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know what to do with it. You see, I heard, someone said, uh, had heard this on the... I uh, heard Dennis Prager say this, the radio commentator, and and I was struck by this. I thought that this is another window into what I'm talking about right now. This idea that he he said something, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like this, that imagine like what you imagine to be a great day, like a really great day, like you got a job, or you got a raise, or you got a promotion, or you met, you got a wedding proposal, or, or something like this, you know, so something like big. And you imagine that that's a great day. You know. How many of those do you have in a, in a year? <laughs> if you're doing well. I'm talking about if you're doing well. Maybe three. <laughs> maybe three. So you're going to hold your whole life hostage for those three days? What about the other 362 days of the year? And this is if you're doing really well. You know, by sort of like secular standards. So, what do we do with life? What do we do with the? What do we do? Or what are we doing here? <laughs> in other words, if it's not for that, those three days out of the year, or whatever it is, then 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 basically, it can't. I can't be in this world for that. I must be in this world for the other three hundred and sixty-two days out of the year. So, what am I supposed to be doing with that? So, you know, I had sort of like a an out there thought. I was thinking about wires and light bulbs. You know, <laughs> and 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 the thing is, is that. Wires don't know that they're wires. <laughs> and light bulbs don't know that they're light bulbs. Isn't that funny? But where are the wires and where are the light bulbs. What if the wires know that they're wires? <laughs> and the light bulbs know that they're light bulbs. What if, what if our job is to reveal... Like, remember our map again, the, the, the middle circle of concealment, which is, let's call that the 362 days of the year, right? And then the circle around that, which is revelation, the middle circle might be darkness, the surrounding circle might be intense light. What if our job is to bring that light into this world, to light up this world? But you know what? For us to light up this world we the wires need to know that they're wires, and the light bulbs need to know that they're light bulbs. <laughs> we have to realize that we are active transmitters of light, and how do we do that? Through the Torah, through the mitzvahs, through loving each other. Remember, one of the great gematries: love in Hebrew is ava. And that's the same gematria, the same numerical equivalent of the word "echad," which means one. One of the greatest ways to reveal the oneness of God in this world is through love, through loving each other, and then you reveal the oneness that's already there. See, one of the one of the you know philosophers once said, um, you know, asked, "Did man create God?" Or did God create man? Right? So if you, you know, if you've been learning and thinking and everything like that, you know, well, where did this world come from? Come on. God created man. God created everything. Okay. So, so that means that this world is already filled with God. You see, we think that that through our belief in God, and again, this is like a, um, this is a, like usually a subconscious thought. Meaning that we, we don't even know that we're thinking this thought. But, but a lot of people think that, you know, I'm going to believe in God so much, I'm going to make him true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Relax, God's already there. <laughs> you don't have to create him. He created you. <laughs> He's keeping you alive at this moment. You know, I often think that the, you know, people wonder, does God exist? The, the greatest proof is, is that do you exist? If you exist, for sure God exists. The bigger question is, do you exist? <laughs> but if you exist, for sure God exists, because how did you get here? You know, like Rabbi Green once said, and so powerful, he said, you know, so many people feel as though they're, again, you know back to the beginning here, that the final authority is my eyes. What I see with my eyes and what I understand with my mind, rationally speaking, that's where the buck stops. That is the final, the final level of authority in this world. You know, but um, it's, 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 it's off. It's off. It's just off. So, so God already exists. And God fills this entire world, whether we believe in Him or not, whether we accept it or not. And it's so awesome. Look how loving God is, that you've got all these people denying His existence all the time, and He's keeping them alive, and allowing them to finish their sentences, <laughs> and allowing their tapes and their books to be published. <laughs> That means God is very secure. <laughs> God is not some insecure, petulant guy that's sort of like, well, I know what you're thinking. I'm going to close your mouth so that you never utter words again, right? He's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Go ahead, try. It's so silly. We have an appointment. We have, an app- we have a face-to-face appointment, you know, at 120. Then we can talk some more, Right? about how I don't exist. <laughs> um, so, so the thing is, is that, you know, I, I, again, we're the wires, we're the lights, but we have to know that we're the wires and that we're the lights. And what we're doing is, we're taking, like imagine the wires are going from that dark center circle to that surrounding light around the darkness, those wires are going and then all of us are light bulbs. And then we get to transmit that light and light up this world and not create God, reveal God. Do you understand? We then reveal what is actually going on right now all around us. See, that's what the Purim story is, is what's, that's what the Megillah is saying so brilliantly, so unbelievably. Remember, one of the far out, let's just talk about the name of the Megillah, you know? Megillus Esther. Megillah, Megillah the, the, the root of the word Megillah means to reveal. Right? And Esther, the root of that word means hidden. So Megillus Esther means the revelation of the hidden. That's that's what that's what the, the name of the book is. Revealing the hidden. And and everyone mentions it, but it's just like it's just like endlessly fascinating. The name of God, Hashem, Yudke Vavke, or any of God's names, is not mentioned in the entire Megillah but one name that's mentioned over and over again is hamelech hamelech means the king hamelech hamelech, 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 the king right? and of course we have a a very central teaching that the the hearts of rulers are in the hands of God so when it says hamelech it means simultaneously the king but also God who's working through the king So Rabbi Manus Friedman, I heard him say one time that a lot of people think that you, let's say you make a blessing over a cookie, right? So that the cookie is basically spiritually inert, right? It's kind of whatever, it's not a player, (laughs) it's just what it is. And you make a blessing over it before you eat it, you acknowledge that it comes from Hashem, and now you have sanctified the cookie. You have made it holy, and that's that's what's going on. He goes, no, it's much deeper than that. He says, God already fills the world, which means there's already holiness in the cookie, right? What you're doing when you make a blessing is you're revealing the fact that God is there. God's already there, but now you're revealing and you're publicizing the fact that God is there. You're not manufacturing it. You're revealing it. We're not manufacturing God's existence. God already exists, otherwise we wouldn't be here. Nothing would be here if God didn't exist. But our job is to reveal God's oneness everywhere. And now, I want to go a little bit further, okay? And now, with this thought in mind, you see, let's just add one more thing. One of the very, very deep aspects of Purim, which gets buried, unfortunately, because it's tied in with so much merrymaking, is something very, 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 very profound, okay? Which sums up everything that I've been talking about in one mitzvah, okay? It's called Adloyada, which means getting to a place of not knowing. See what I've been what I've been saying up until now is this whole idea that the eyes are the final authority or the observable phenomena is true the sun revolves around the earth right wrong right like everything that i see is the is the final authority or that my mind if my mind can't grasp it don't tell me it's true it's not true right the idea that really reality is really way beyond what my mind can grasp, okay? And what I can see with my eyes. That's all in the category of quote-unquote knowing, right? That's the, that's the dark side or the bad side of knowing. If you really want to know, you have to know what you know. This is not an anti-intellectual point of view. This is actually a smarter, wiser point of view. You have to know what you know, and be actually extremely ambitious in ever wanting to know more, however, keeping in mind the vast amounts that you don't know at the same time. Like the way Reb Shlomo put it, was, imagine, see, it's very hard for people to learn something new and feel dumber at the same time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because if I tell you something new, then it's sort of like, hey, look what I know. (laughs) I just got smarter. Yes, but think of it in this way. Reb Shlomo said, with every piece of information that you get, you should feel like you've gotten one puzzle piece for a big puzzle that you don't have the other pieces of. (laughs) So which means that I just got a piece of information, I'm smarter, but wait a second, there are 499 missing pieces. (laughs) I'm so much dumber. (laughs) But I'm smarter. But I'm dumber. (laughs) Not dumber. I'm more in a state of wonderment. I'm more in a state of wonderment because now I know a little piece of something even more vast that's going on that I have no idea about. And it vastly outweighs the amount of information that I just got. So... The mitzvah that I was referring to, that gets lost in the celebration of Purim, the depth of it, is this idea of drinking. Now, now there are different ways to get to this place of not knowing. You want to transcend the idea of knowing. Because if you actually want to be an active wire in this world, a conscious wire that's like channeling light from beyond and lighting up this world and revealing God's oneness... One of the things that you need to know if you want to be a player, like an active player, is that you don't know. Right? So so that's what Purim is about. Purim is about, again, the fact that even amidst the hiddenness, God is absolutely operating at all times. But because reality is happening so slowly, it just feels like more and more I'm driving the show. Because how do I... Because if God is almighty and God is absolutely running the world, then why isn't he doing what I want him to do? Why is it taking so long if God is almighty? But guess what? God is almighty. And as the prophet Isaiah says, in the name of God, my thoughts are not your thoughts. <laughs> and my ways are not your ways. Another essential, essential verse if you want to stay humble. And if you want to stay tuned into reality, you got to know that. It's like, okay, you know what? You want to turn right at the stop sign? I get it. I get it. I get it. I know. I get it. I heard you. I get it. I know why you're thinking that. It makes sense to you. I got a better plan. We're going straight. Ah, I don't want to go straight. (laughs) I'm so sick of going straight okay I'm with you I'm there I'm with you I'm there we're going to continue to go straight (laughs) and we'll see we'll see what happens next so so there are many ways to get to this place of beyond knowing okay so the Rambam says you can take a nap (laughs) because when you're asleep what do you know (laughs) You don't have to take one drink. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, I heard in his name that you can do it through love. Wow. That you love other people so much that it blows your mind and you realize you don't know anything. Whoa. Okay? That's another way to get to this place. The more conventional place is to drink and to drink wine, by the way. Not to just be some, like, bum, right? And you're just just downing whatever anyone is putting in front of you or whatever's on the table. Wine, because the miracle of Purim was done through wine. And Kabbalistically speaking, it's in the Gomorrah, the fruit that we ate from, from the tree of knowledge, was a grape. It was wine. okay. And we want to get beyond this imprisonment of quote-unquote knowing. this This false knowing that we think we know, which is basically the state of the world since we ate from the tree of knowledge. right? And again, I just want to say it again. I said it already, but I want to say it again. I'm not talking about living in ignorance. I'm not talking about embracing ignorance. That's not what this is about at all. That's not what Judaism or Torah is about at all. You want to be vastly learned. But remember, what are our greatest geniuses called in Torah? They're called... It's a person reaches this level, they're called a Talmud, Chacham. That means a wise student. Now, that's strange, because other traditions would call that person a master. A holy master. Not a wise student. Uh. Wow, great. Right? Yeah. It's, but, you have to stay, even the more you know, the more you have to realize you don't know. Which means you have to stay in this state of being a student, even as you attain ever larger heights. Because once you become, once you put a ceiling over your head and call yourself a master, then that's the moment that you've broken with reality. So it's very beautiful that we have this phrase for our wisest people. In fact, you can say, a al he is a hacham, he is wise, because he knows he's still a student. His wisdom comes from knowing that he's still a student. Do you, do you understand? And I would say this, and anyone who's listening to this at this point in the talk is already sort of like taking learning seriously. So I don't know if this message is going to get out to the people that I wanted to get out to, but keep it in mind. Maybe you can tell someone. Do you know the difference between people who, like, you walk into, say, shul, or you walk around, and you say, wow, that guy, he's like turned on. He's like a turned on guy, you know? Or woman, or whatever it is. Like, oh, wow, they're into it. I'm not into it. I just kind of do it because I'm supposed to do it, but they're into it. They're actually turned on. Do you know the difference between those two people? It's very simple. One learns Torah and the other doesn't. Very, very simple. Right there. You can end all discussions right on that point. One has stayed a lifelong student, which is what we're commanded to do, by the way. It's not just like, oh, they, they're so, you know, they're the person, so they're doing this extra thing. No, we're actually commanded to do that. And the other one just, you know, learned... Kind of the basics at a certain point in their life, and then just left, and so they're going through the motions. And the other people are no; they're like they realize that the world actually, in reality, is being created and recreated every single moment, and that <laughs> just anything can happen at any time, and that it's just like this it's like this glorious adventure life. So now. So, so so, Purim, which is the heart of darkness, it's the heart of darkness. It really is, because you have to understand something. Think about time for a moment in a linear way. So in, in this way, we have Nisan, the first month, let's say, is at the top of the chart. And then Purim is all the way in the 12th month on the bottom of the chart. Okay, And that's where Purim takes place, in the month of Adar. Now, Nisim, the first month, that's the, that's the month of miracles. That's when we leave Egypt. That's Pesach. Open miracles. Nisim has the word it, which means a miracle. The, the, the name of the month itself means miracles. Miracles is open revelation. Okay? Now, the furthest away from open revelation, the furthest, 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 furthest away, is Purim. So that's what I'm telling you. It's the heart of darkness. Okay, so so in the heart of darkness, that's when God is most concealed. That's when you are most likely to think that you yourself are running the show. Okay, but now listen to this. There's a halacha. The Gemara says that Purim has to be thirty days from Pesach. And you say, well, wait a second, that's the calendar. Isn't that always going to be the case? No, because we have oftentimes like this year, two months of Adar, where you could have put purim in the first month of Adar. You understand? And then it would have been sixty days to Purim. Uh, sixty days to Pesach. But the sages say, No, 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 no. It's gotta go purim into Pesach. Okay? So 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 now don't think of Time in a linear way with n- the first month at the top of the chart and Purim on the bottom of the chart, furthest away from the light. Now think of time as a spiral. Okay? And now, actually, you've got Purim going right into Pesach. <laughs> in other words, the closest thing to open revelation is the heart of darkness, or it's always darkness before the dawn. Right? Or if we can serve God in the darkness, if we can be the wires, if we can be the light bulbs, if we can reveal the oneness of God in the darkness, all of a sudden, bam, open miracles happen. That's the story of the calendar. That's the story that's going on. The end gets attached to the beginning. And then it lights up the beginning and the beginning becomes redemption. Remember, the Zohar says that the future redemption that we're all waiting for is completely going to be based on us leaving Egypt. So Pesach doesn't just stand for 3,000 years ago or whatever it was when we left Egypt. Pesach is the model of the future redemption. And it says of all the holidays... The holiday that's going to be celebrated even after Mashiach comes is Purim. Because God's going to say, listen, when everything was lit up, of course you knew. But as a covet to you who served me when it was totally dark, when it was totally dark, how can we not celebrate Purim forever? Right? Okay, good for